0: Welcome to the Simpleton Podcast, the greatest podcast in the heavenly eternity. This is almost a milestone episode for the Simpleton Podcast. This is episode 49. All right, And Laura, this is the day we kick off Simple House Retreat. Our podcast today is a little bit about that. We're going to talk about uh, retreat and uh, horrible things that can go wrong. We're going to ta- ask you if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior uh, more seriously, this is going to be the meat of the podcast. We're going to talk about experiential knowledge of God. So if you listen to one part, that's the part you should listen to. Um, and then we're going to talk about C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, particularly the last book in that trilogy that's having kind of a moment right now. And then we will do a recommendation. What's new with you, Laura? <laughs>
1: I'm not much, Clark.
0: Okay, well, last night we had our kickoff dinner for a Retreat. So, what the kickoff dinner means is you eat whatever you want before you start the fast, you know, and we had the d c community out here. They looked good um and <laughs> we are sending our seminarians who've been living with us for their poverty immersion home um yep. and they are probably in Denver by now, but they basically traveled all night starting at midnight on a greyhound bus. In fact, they wow. might not even be home yet wow. so um. One of the things that our house head out here, Margot, has contrived as a simple house tradition, and it really is a tradition. We're not just saying that. It's been going on at least five years. She has this like thing that I'm not really allowed to say what it is, but it's an initiation. And it involves <laughs> slurping something up that is a mixture of like coffee and chocolate and greatness. But it like gives like the most crazy sugar high you can imagine. (laughs) So it's kind of like when people, when I'm not allowed to tell people what it is, I tell them it's like, we're going to have a Coke party. (laughs) Everyone's going to snort and we're all going to be awake for a long time (laughs) saying stupid things. Right. And this needed to happen last night because we never had fully initiated the seminarians. and They were going to go home. You know? Oh
1: my gosh. That's terrible before a bus ride.
0: Well, they need to be awake. Greyhound is, all right, Greyhound on the East Coast and Greyhound in the Midwest are different things, right? On the East Coast, Greyhound is a reasonable way to get between cities, okay? In the Midwest, Greyhound is for people who lost their license or are being released from jail. <laughs> and I'm serious. We had a missionary who, I wonder if she listens to this podcast, basically rode on a Greyhound from Memphis to KC and had someone just poop and pee in the chair next to her, <laughs> <laughs> oh my i mean like you need to stay awake just to make sure you're not getting assaulted on greyhound out here
1: yeah i i mean i i think the greyhound station here in dc you go there and it feels like you're stepping into a a, a different place All right. it's yeah. way more
0: sketch out here <laughs> yeah i've done okay. it even on the west coast i was in um seattle at I, greyhound I think people station. here
1: that take the bus just take the you know The bolt bus type stuff.
0: Well, I know investment bankers who have taken Greyhound, you know, like from D.C. to New York, like on a weekly basis. But
1: like this year or like 20 years ago?
0: You're right. It was was back when I lived in D.C. So I don't know if if the bus got worse in D.C., but like when I was at the Greyhound station in Seattle like 12 years ago, I literally had a prostitute come up to me and like proposition me while standing in line, which is awkward because you can't like... You don't want to lose your place in line, but you also yeah, have to deal with this issue. <laughs> you can't like walk away. <laughs> but so I thought cooking them up for that ride home was probably a good idea, a solid Freefer, move. Actually, yeah. Okay. When, when they finally fall asleep, sometime tomorrow, Well, it's going to be
1: a big crash. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Right. And the the spirituality year at uh, John Vianney Seminary will will know how to deal with that that'll be a good place to get sober, you know? Okay. But the other thing that happened was everyone did this initiation and then I had to give the retreat rules, which Mm -hmm. is kind of great because everyone's almost giggly. Yeah. and
1: (laughs) I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but do you want to say what the retreat rules are basically again?
0: Yeah. It's basically silence except at dinner and at a conference. Um, And then there's no meat, no sugar, Uh, no no fish, no snacking. We encourage fasting, but you still have to eat once a day. I can explain that more in a second and no cell phones, you know? Yeah. So basically we cause people to have like mental breaks on this, you know, (laughs) for when they have to go a week without any electronic you know, device and stuff. So, and these are usually quite good and we'll explain, that's kind of where we're going with this experiential knowledge of God question that we'll talk about here in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, we phrased it in the whole like 90s way of saying, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? <laughs> That's a pretty good statement. I just hate the wording. Uh, it's a pretty good idea they're trying to get at. Yeah. There. Well, um, let's
1: talk about it more after.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk yeah. about now. Let's talk about Super Feast. So for years now, at the end of Simple Ass Retreat, we have a feast. And usu- the feast is when we break our fast. So you yeah. haven't been eating any meat all week. And then we're just going to have this great feast and we invite all the old missionaries. We invite, like we've got some nuns coming this time. We invite just friends of the ministry in, and we have this like really great, you know, meal and it's extra great because everyone just can't wait yeah. to eat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you fast in order to feast. You're yeah. not fasting in order to fast. Yeah. Um, And what we did initially with the super feast, the very first year, the idea was, everyone make a dish who was on retreat and make the dish that you've been hungry for all week. Yeah. Right. And Satan was behind this idea (laughs) and it was the most disgusting dinner you've ever had. It was like, (laughs) it was like Velveeta cheese dip with fried chicken wings With Oreo fluff.
1: I I I feel like I remember one of these super feasts like Velveeta cheese dip being maybe the healthiest item.
0: Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I finally phased Velveeta Rotel cheese dip out of my life and I'm happy still. Which is why that's the that's the key part is I'm happy yeah (laughs) um but uh what would happen is you just feel gross because everything was rich to the you know max and greasy to the max and
1: like all the sugariest sugar there was not
0: a vegetable in the house when we would have super feast right yeah so now we found that everyone enjoys super feast more if we just say hey we're gonna have like a burrito bar
2: yeah yeah
0: anyway that's what we're doing all right that's a lesson for any of you who want to plan a feast after your <laughs> retreat. Okay, don't don't eat fried chicken wings followed by a, a cheesecake. Now, who wants to tell us the lesson we learned here?
1: Don't put Twinkies on your pizza. Yeah. A little bit like uh, letting your kids like pick all the special, you know, Christmas dinner foods. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's exactly what that is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, there's this kind of like dumb debate within Catholic circles about when you give something up for Lent, are you allowed to have it on Sundays? Oh, yeah. You know, and my take is you should have it on Sundays and you should give up so much that by... Saturday, uh, sundown, you are so into whatever you're going to dive into, Yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and those have always been my very best wins. And yeah. since I've had small children, I have not been having those because I need to be a sane father all week. So giving up yeah. so much that I'm going crazy by Saturday sundown is like not my ideal. Yeah. It's not my best life right now. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Those are just the best. Um, so the other time Satan got into our, uh, retreat and it was my fault. <laughs> we were driving back from New York. We used to do our retreats in cabins in New York. Uh, now we're doing them at Conception Abbey in Northwest Missouri. Shout out to Conception Abbey. Um, Abbott Benedict and Father Adam out there. Um, but we used to do them in these cabins near Binghamton, New York. And we were driving home and man in Pennsylvania. I remember Jess Barnes, listener of the podcast was the only person who really stood up to me in this moment. And I did not listen to her. I was driving the van full of missionaries and I saw an all you can eat Chinese buffet. And all we'd had was like canned goods in our cabin all week. Yeah. And when I saw this all you can eat Chinese buffet in Pennsylvania on the way home, I just thought this is the perfect way to end uh-huh. this week. Yeah. And it was like two thirty at the Chinese buffet. Yeah. Which is not the time to go to the Chinese buffet and it was yeah. so tragic and i knew it disgusting as soon yeah. as we you know sat down and kind of gone too far yeah. and um jess was correct <laughs> don't that's not a good way to end retreat either
1: You know what it kind of reminds me of, you know, it's like you tell your kids not to spoil their appetites or whatever, but uh, you you hate people eating while they're cooking for like a big feast, you know, like, uh, isn't this a thing you dislike? And it's like the feast needs to have the like intentionality behind it, you know, and it's just like temptation. Let's stop here at this Chinese buffet. Like, apart from being gross, it's just was like kind of the quick fix and it. I don't
0: know. Well, I mean that super feast where we had all the grease, that was a lot of intentionality there.
1: There was, there was, Um, that was a different mistake. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, there's a couple other things that those old retreats when we did them in Binghamton had problems with that were kind of interesting is that retreat center kind of got weirder and weirder. And I'm saying this because a lot of people don't, you know, necessarily go on retreats each year. And when you go, you kind of need to choose a good one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, we had some weirdness there. We ended up stopped going because the people who ran it, um, which was a religious order, decided that women could not have cabins.
3: Mm-hmm. Like that
0: was too kind of scandalous to them. Like the women had to stay in a dorm and then the men were uh, it were had these cool primitive cabins where yeah. we would haul water. You build and build your own you know, fire. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had to heat them with the wood and haul our own water and like yeah. live in these cabins and the women all ended up in a dorm type setting and that was just not uh mm-hmm. no one wanted that no none of the women yeah. were very happy with that situation and um in the past they had had their own cabins and yeah. the other thing that happened was they kind of sprang that on us at the last minute and their thing would happen is like people would be like going to confession and then like destroyed yeah you know like instead of having it be a healing a sacrament of healing and a sacrament of forgiveness and back into the church they would feel like their life was far worse or they're, yeah. you know, and, um, it, you'd end up like, maybe it was say a 15 minute confession. You end up having to talk to the person for three hours trying to like, not get them, you know, get them yeah. back to sanity. You know? Yeah.
1: I'm and- always, um, suspicious of like, um. Uh- anytime like a priest or like, especially like a religious order thinks they need to like help the world be more hardcore, you know, Right. I, it's like red flags, red flags. And I, I've been on retreats where, you know, I was going through something and a priest, these weren't simple house retreats, but a priest that didn't know me, you know, like push, push, push. And it's like, I'm already in crisis,
0: (laughs) you know, it's spiritual malpractice. It's spiritual abuse. It's yeah. It, and it's not like intentional. It's not like they think they're going to like take you out back and beat you behind the woodshed or something like this, but they just don't have discernment. Yeah. They're, like in the situation of someone who needs discernment and they don't have discernment to say when someone needs the hard message and when someone needs the soft, yeah. they just are a broken record. Everyone needs the hard message. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that happened here was like, um, there was a homily that went on and on and on about sacrilegious communion.
3: Mm.
0: And it was about how sacrilegious communion is the very worst thing you can ever do. It is um, worse than murder and was like (laughs) making proofs like theological proofs about how much worse it was than murder. Yeah. And everyone listening to this homily for some reason came to the same wrong opinion. We all thought unworthy communion and sacrilegious communion were the same thing.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And so then people were going to confession saying, father, father, I've committed sacrilegious communion. And father'd be like, "What?" And and what he meant by sacrilegious communion was he'd stolen the host and had a black mass to Satan. That's what he meant. And what what our people were Seriously. thinking were just that they hadn't gone to confession recently enough when they took communion.
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah, and
0: thank. The, something happened that kind of showed that we weren't just the weird, the only people sniffing this out. But the Vatican ended up cracking down on that order because okay. they were doing something funny and wrong. Yeah,
1: I mean, like who who is that homily for? You like you're preaching to your brothers and exactly. retreatants? Like that's right. bizarre. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that. Yeah. yeah, and that homily is kind of part of this. We talked about this many episodes ago. The satanic panic. Yeah, you know, what I mean, yeah. like you actually think that's the real problem in the world right now? It's just straight up Satanism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, all right. Um. So what is the right way to do this, um, particularly with food or whatever? I'm just mm-hmm. going to throw this out there where you contradict or inform this. Mm-hmm. The Desert Father's view of fasting was is to create a physiological state and they would do the nine hour fast and the nine hour fast meant you basically ate the ninth hour after you're awake, which is usually to them was like three o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And the goal was that the same way, like a hunter gatherer would like, you know, you could imagine like sitting around the fire and you haven't eaten at some point you just like, oh man, I have this like nervous energy that I, I have this desire. I need to like go yeah. fulfill. I need to go like, I need to start gathering stuff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And the whole point of the fast is to like trigger that like uneasiness, Yeah. that desire, that insecurity about food. Right. Yeah. But then and to it- take...
1: It creates kind of like a sharp edge, you know,
0: like <laughs> it, it kind of, it well, I mean, the whole point is desire. Yeah. Right. Like, it's not about like, um, there's a famous desert father story where the young monk comes up and says, father, I've done everything. I've done all the works. I've done all the prayers. I've read everything. I've, you know, what else is there? And the other yeah. monk puts his hands in the air and his hands, all his fingers become flames. And he says, burn with desire. Mm. Right. Like that is the point of that life. Right. And our life too. Right. So when you're fat and happy, you sometimes aren't that. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And this idea of like igniting this like food desire, the point is to take that energy and transition it to prayer.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. It's not the same point as like a marathon runner. Like Mm -hmm. we have people today doing great acts of asceticism to get tough, to get a runner's high. To yeah. have some satisfaction or achievement. That if you're if you're fasting that way, you are not Christian fasting. Right, right. Right. Christian yeah. fasting is not about an achievement. It's about getting that, you know, primal desire ignited and then using that for prayer. And that's why the desert fathers said you eat every day. And if you go more than a day without eating, it's just pride. You're yeah. actually not doing the point of the fast.
1: But is is would you say that the point of the Fast is twofold. One is like to kind of create the desire. Right. But uh, the other, when I say it creates an edge, it's like um, your mind becomes like attuned a little bit differently. You know, Um,
0: you know, I don't think so. I, I tend to think if your mind was a little bit of a mess and you were much more like humbled and desperate, that that's a good result of a fast. You know, like, if because, like, like, there's often something that happens when you fast that you don't see clearly. You wonder why you're doing this. It's the yeah. noonday devil. Is that attacks you around noon, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't call that, like, an edge. I, it, it keeps you on edge. Like, if you're on the edge of your seat, you know, but you don't have an edge in the sense that you have, like, a piercing vision or you have, like, or you have an edge when people come talk to you. At least that's not the ideal.
1: Yeah. No, I don't know. I...
0: I think ultimately Mm -hmm. the sacrifice of any type is to humble oneself for the Lord, to break your heart for the Lord. Right. And whenever we do any type of sacrifice or fast that hardens us or makes us prideful or um, makes us just tough. Yeah. That's the same thing as hardens us. um, I don't think that's the point of the Christian asceticism. I think the point of the Christian asceticism is actually the weakness. Okay. <laughs> All right. Laura has an I, objection that she's not articulated, but she'll come back with it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> let me try to articulate it. So I think you are right. It's not to get tougher, right? It's not to be more productive. It's not, not about achievement. Um, and when I've done longer fasts, there's like a point where you get real hungry And then you move beyond that point and you kind of can have a little bit of a window (laughs) uh, of like some like mental clarity or something that that maybe lets you be present in prayer in a different way than after you ate. Um, And I think it's a window, right, because then like a couple hours later, the kids, do something. And I think it's the end of the world, but you know, so I have to, um, yeah. And I, I, I think primarily it's kind of like to break yourself for the Lord, you know, but I, I thought that the desert fathers were kind of trying to achieve this secondary thing as well. It's like
0: clarity. It makes God very immediate, which is always a clarity, you know, that's always a more proper way of thinking about God. And that's kind of getting into what we're going to talk about with this experiential knowledge of God. -hmm. Yeah, I don't think what you're saying is wrong. I I, to reiterate this one more time, just because I find when I talk to people one-on-one about this, I have to reiterate it over and over and over again because it's hard to get through. But like, if you take a spectrum of tough people to wimps, right? The toughest people sometimes don't benefit from asceticism because they can't figure it out. They're doing it too much on their own initiative. The wimpiest people who persevere. Yeah, do great with asceticism.
1: Yeah,
0: right. Because it, when you're a wimp, you humble very quickly, and therefore yeah. you're quickly getting the result.
1: Yeah, you're right? you're kind of asking God for help every second of it.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. And that <laughs> is a, the way to perfection. Yeah. <laughs> that type of dependence on God. Yeah. All right. Laura, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior?
1: Um. By his grace, yes, I do.
0: <laughs> That's good. I I knew a monk, and he was kind of a, a simple monk. Like, he was, like, kind of in mm-hmm. charge of lawn maintenance. For some reason, there was a bonfire one night, and I was sitting next to him, and he told this kind of joke. He goes, he goes, all these Protestants ask, by the way, I don't hear Protestants use this term anymore. I think it was a fad phrase. Well,
1: I, I Yeah, I, I think I kind of wonder if I'm not around Protestants as much anymore as I used to be. That could uh, be it
0: too. Maybe yeah, I just didn't hear it. But they used yeah. to be, they would always be asking, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? The Babylon yeah. Bee does this at the end of all their interviews. It's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> they'll be interviewing like Jordan Peterson. And then they'll be like, "And now you got it. It'll be like, do me a solid. Do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Oh, that's good. That's yeah. great. They know yeah. it's funny. All right. But anyway, so this monk goes, he goes, people ask me if I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I say, no. I think he's everyone's Lord and Savior. <laughs> yeah. Um and that monk um died as a martyr 20 years ago yeah. in a monastery shooting. A, a shooter went to his monastery and killed a couple monks and shot up three more and he was one of the ones who got killed. Yeah. So, um so what does this mean? So what's interesting about retreat? You can work on theology at retreat, but that's not the point of retreat. The point of retreat is to make yourself immediately available to God, right, and this is the most important way to grow in your faith because it's literally growing in relationship right yeah why why am I saying this because maybe that all sounds obvious, right? well, there's this sense in which like you read about the early Christians, you read about uh Christians who went who died in the holocaust, you read about the people tortured under the Soviet regime, you know, you read the book silence, you know, mm-hmm. and there's all these Christians or even the Jesuits in um, Elizabethan England, you know, uh, they're captured, they're tortured, they're asked to renounce their faith. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes, you know, the interesting thing about silence and even about some of the Soviet tortures is they know ways to get you no matter how tough you are. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's not just about like pulling your teeth out. It's about destroying the family members and your children in front of you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And destroying everyone who helps you and your parishioners and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And the question that all Christians, I think, ask when we read these stories of the saints is, what would I do? hmm You know? Um, why Why do some people make it through that and most don't? Yeah. You know? And— I think that's a good question. And the first question you, the first like hypothesis, that I think everyone's considered is, am I tough enough? Right. Like, right. Like if they start pulling my tooth out, am I going to be like, I renounce, I renounce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or um, like, or like, am I tough enough to make it? But ultimately, I think we conclude that this is not a matter of toughness. Yeah. Right. Like, There's always a way they can get to you. Yeah. where you, where toughness is not enough. Then the next question is, is God supernaturally intervening with some and not supernaturally intervening with others? Mm-hmm. And how do I maybe make myself sure that when I'm put in my day of great crisis, that God was supernaturally intervene to preserve me? Yeah. You know, like he would St. Peter when St. Peter was crucified upside down or what? Right. And I actually don't know if that's the answer either, because it's not clear to me that it's God's will to always save you in those moments. Yeah. You know, like I've definitely asked God's grace to keep me from sinning before. And then I sinned or did something wrong. And I, then I'm almost half mad at God that he didn't show up with a boatload of supernatural grace, you know, to save me from it. And, um, I think there's like a third thing here, the thing that you can actually work on, you know? um, and I think the third thing here is your knowledge of God is ultimately not a theological knowledge, yeah. right? And it's not even a, a, a relationship that's, you know, just about practice. Like the yeah. amount of novenas you say or rosaries you yeah. say or anything like that. Like your relationship with God, because like your your intellect's going to fade. Yep. You're going to be your in reason. a nursing, you're gonna, yeah, yeah. Alzheimer's or whatever's going to hit you. Or I mean, you're if you're just,
1: being tortured, if you're hungry, whatever, right. you know, yeah. your intellect can Don't get enough sleep faith. last
0: night. Your reason's yeah. compromised to yeah. a weird degree. Your virtue's compromised if you don't get enough sleep. Yeah, everything, you know? right, yeah. Go to a simple house uh, initiation. Your reason will be compromised. <laughs> um, yeah. So then what, right? And I think what is left is like this like bedrock experiential knowledge of God. Yeah. Right. And it's not an experience that's outside of us, like, you know, the sun shining on our face. It is that, but it's also the radical part of Christianity is the God dwelling on us. Yeah. It's even an internal experience of God. Right. Yeah. And I think the point of retreat is to strip so much away that you almost have to come to terms with the experience of God. Yeah. Right. I You know, I've been wondering about that, that book, Silence. Um, it's really hard to figure out what the moral of the story is in that. I know there's people out there, there's no moral in that story, blah, blah, yeah, blah. But, you yeah, yeah. I, I do think there's something going on there that you're supposed to learn from that book.
1: It's unsettling, that's for sure. <laughs> right. It, it, you have, yeah.
0: So kind of the premise is these Portuguese missionary priests have a very rigid view of salvation, you know? And they arrive in Japan and the Japanese authorities, um, when they start persecuting and find the priest, wine and dine the priest, and then slowly torture to death all their parishioners until the priests um, renounce Christ by stepping on top of, like I think a picture of the virgin with child. Yeah. Right? And when the priests step on top of the picture of the virgin with child, they don't really have access to the sacrament of confession. Yeah. And they don't, they really feel like they've lost their salvation, but they didn't know what else they should do besides watching all these innocent people die. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's something in there where like, they and the, the, took yeah, away. there's no,
1: right. They've lost their salvation and there's no, right. th- this is the first of probably two spoilers we're going to do in this episode. But.
0: I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I, yeah. I've heard in the movie, which I have not seen that there's like a glint of hope that his faith is still alive after this, but there was something like his faith was too rigid going in and they took it away. And there's something where like, when you're really like, God is more real than the sun, right? God's more real than the sun's warmth. God is more dependable than the sun rising tomorrow.
1: Yeah. It's like, you need the experiential knowledge to sort of know avoiding the pain of having your, Tooth pulled out makes less sense than renouncing God, you know?
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But there's something where it's also like, um, if you did renounce God in a moment of torture or persecution, or say you renounce the sun in the moment of, you say the sun's not real. I don't believe in the sun. And then the next day you walk outside and there it is. Yeah. Oh. You know, that's what God's like too. Like yeah. even when you renounce him, he's yeah. just right there, you know, and he's right there proving you wrong.
1: Yeah. I, so you're allowed to believe in the sun after you said it doesn't exist. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In fact, you're just kind of a liar, even when you say it doesn't exist, because you even know it does. Yeah. You know, um, so there's somewhere where like, God's got to be so real to us that our relationship is a relationship almost like of essence. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's like, I don't even know what it would mean to not have right. the sun. Like, it's tomorrow. like the
1: whole reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: My whole reality is gone. Therefore, yeah. I mean, I don't know if even if you put together the words that you blaspheme or that you yeah. do it, like what does it even mean? Because, like, you don't know what life is without it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I don't know what that means for persecution necessarily, but I think that I would like to have that attitude when I go into it. But I think that's what retreat is, you know? Retreat is to like, get us away from thinking our life is the hustle and bustle or yeah. the, take the kids to school or the making money or the even church operations. It's about, yeah. it's about getting you back to, or, or reemphasizing just the primal essence of you and God.
1: Yeah. I, it's like strips away all the things that can get in the way, right. Or either right. get in the way or sort of confuse us about the nature of our relationship with God.
0: Um. Right. Yeah, and now let's talk about like the types of persecution that we almost definitely will face. Like the KGB is not necessarily going to lock any of us up, but the k- persecution of having everyone around you fall away. Yeah, you know, uh, the persecution of looking really stupid or having your career attacked. Yep. You know. Yeah. Um.
1: And that does happen. <laughs> that does happen. <laughs> that yeah. is and, happening. And it's that yeah. is
0: happening. Yeah. Um. As. I
1: I mean, I think my friends
0: know Uh, the persecution of like, there's people listening right now and maybe me who are going to end up in a nursing home alone Yeah, and not without visitors. There's going to be people that you know, well, who end up like that. Right. And maybe quote, like you'd be like, yeah, well, that's why you have a lot of kids and you raise them. Right. Well, yeah. But things go wrong too. Yeah. You know, people end up in situations even when they play their cards, right. Yeah. It's some. it just, these things happen, you know? Yeah. And your, your mind will be failing. And who are you then? Yeah. You know,
1: I spent time, uh, like a couple months in a nursing home, uh, not living. Well, I, I did live there.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, this is but very it unclear was, what you're trying yeah. to say here. Laura. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, there, these nuns ran the nursing home. I was, uh, helping, And one thing they would say is that you could tell who tried to like live a virtuous life, you know, when they were still lucid. And, um, and it was like, maybe this doesn't, I I know dementia can really mess with people's minds and make them act differently. But, but there were people that were just like, had no idea what was going on and sort of retained their kindness and, and charity and, uh, love for God, you know? And, um, other people were very bitter in their confusion. And, you know, I don't know. It, yeah, was I think there's a
0: sense in which people in midlife and when they're young can do what's right and have a good outward facade while being kind of mad or like just toughing it out on the inside. Mm-hmm. But then as your facilities decrease, yes. your ability to tough it out or put on the right facade goes away. And then, to, yeah, then you hope you, you had enough virtue penetrate that you're not, yeah. you know, being... Yeah. A jerk at the nursing home.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's interesting because it's like, you are sort of, uh, training, educating your, (laughs) I guess, you know, your virtue. I I don't know just that all these, like, I don't want to put too, too big emphasis on this, but it's like these moments of, of choosing to be kind and virtuous, you know, are training you for the future when you're not going to really be choosing in it anymore. You know, you're going to be who you are.
0: (laughs) Um, and yeah. that's why doing what's right needs to be deeper than just the action. Yeah. You know, yeah. it has to be like you're actually reforming your impulses, too. Yeah. You know, and you're, tempta- you're trying to get the temptation healed, not just do what's right. Um, You know, and aside on this, it's funny. It's not funny, but it's dark. And I feel like no one really talks about it. It's like, so my dad was on Parkinson's meds, right? Mm-hmm. And if you read the side effects of Parkinson's meds. Yeah. They are like wild. Wow. Like they're like sexual promiscuity is a side effect of Parkinson's meds. <laughs>
1: oh my God.
0: Gambling is a side effect of Parkinson's meds. There's a guy in France who apparently <laughs> got on Parkinson's meds, gambled away his fortune and became a homosexual, even though he'd not been a homosexual his whole life, and then sued the, the drug company that they'd ruined his life through the side effects and won. I don't care about the legal merits of that, but yeah. it is no joke that that is like really the side effect. And when you go yeah. see a par- your doctor, if you have Parkinson's, you're on meds, yeah. their first question is, have you been doing anything weird sexually? Okay. Have you done any gambling? Like, like okay. they know that's the side effect and yet they're prescribing it. And you have yeah, to ask wait, as a Christian- I,
1: yeah, so, but is it like your um, secret desires are somehow becoming uninhibited or it gives you kind of new appetites for things you never had? Is is it? Well,
0: how how could we ever really know? Yeah, okay. But like, yeah. I suspect new appetites.
1: Yeah, wow, that's pretty wild.
0: You know, uh, that guy who, won, who became yeah. homosexual, he was like, I have never had these temptations before these, <laughs> 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 you know? But like, Jeez. but this is also true of like, weird psych reactions as mm-hmm. side effects are weird. Like there's these beds where yeah. like the side effect is like suicide and you're like, what? Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Right. No meds for depression. They make you more suicidal. Well, there was even bro.
0: like a yeah. pimple medication where the side effect was oh like suicide. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. Um, like, oh, just right. Keep yeah. your Pimples, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. I just say that to throw out that, like, I know that if I get Parkinson's, I'm going to have to think hard whether or not you want to go on those are meds are worth it. Yeah. You know, like maybe don't yeah. slow the disease and just die sooner and not have to deal with that, you know, yeah, but I feel like I don't hear anyone talking about that. Everyone just That's takes the meds, yeah, you know? yeah, um, all right, let's now there's there's this other topic within this there's this way in which the world this is about i'm getting ready to talk about persecution uh there's a way in which the world has like painted like science versus supernatural, mm-hmm. right, and this is not this is kind of a yeah. dumb uh dualism right uh it's your science or supernatural right but somehow because we got in that attitude there's this sense in which people lose their faith because they feel like science by explaining more and more and more and more is winning these victories against supernatural so they're like converting to science Um, yeah
1: like it's like you don't need god to explain the world anymore because you've understood so much more through science
0: right and i think their worldview is that like a medieval peasant just thought like god like uh held the sun in the sky and moved it along yeah and then once you realize that, that the laws of physics did that and you don't even have to ask who created those but you just kind of once you, when you get more and more of an explanation you start the whole idea of god becomes sillier and sillier you know yeah
1: i i think it's like this can happen i think um like with psychology, you can explain why people act, you know, the way they act and this, because this person's mother and that, you know, and it's like, uh, God kind of gets shoved out of there. I think, All right, uh, right,
0: right, right. like there's no space for the spiritual. So nice when psychology gets on a roll.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think another way kind of fitness nutrition world, it's like, it can become such a focus. And so much of your behavior is like, also affected by your food, you know? <laughs> right. And I, I think in that case, it, I, I've seen this multiple times, like people kind of lose their faith little by little because the healthism re- replaces the framework, you know? Right, um, right. Yeah.
0: So the point here, though, is that all of this is like unnecessary. Anyone with a decent, you know, formation kind of sees that that's really not a valid argument against faith, right? So there's somehow like theological education guards against this.
1: I think yes, but also I think that temptation is there. I think it's like almost a temptation.
0: I okay, I think you could be right. Yeah. Yeah. What I think's interesting is I worry like what happens if aliens land? Mhm. Right? I think there's <laughs> going to be a great falling away of faith when aliens land, even if there shouldn't be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even if it's just like all these other things where it's like there's no real theological reason why that discredits faith. Yeah. And that's why I respect what C.S. Lewis did with his space trilogy in that he is like kind of brainstorming what it would mean if there are intelligent life on other planets and how Mm -hmm. it could be consistent with Christianity. Right. And he's exploring different ideas within that. Um, And I think that in a way like helps us who want to get the theological underpinnings of what that would mean to kind of like imagine it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think what's interesting about this, though, is that, like, even when you, like, fortify yourself with that, like, theological knowledge, like, you figure out all the different ways that Christianity still makes sense, even if, you know, the space saucer comes, right? Even as you fortify yourself with that knowledge, what's going to happen if the day the space aliens land, you show up for daily mass and no one else is there and the priest doesn't show up mm-hmm. because a lot of our faith is not just about our, our intellect. It's also about that social, you know, help, Yeah, you know, can you stand alone? Can you pray even when the priest didn't show up? Yeah. You know? And I think that's interesting. I think that's the persecution that is like more likely you know it's the falling away of your intellect and or the falling away of the social buttresses yeah. of the faith, yeah. like like I think a lot of people are surprised if they're active in their Newman group that after they graduate that some of the very active members of the Newman group yep. immediately fall away from the faith,
1: yeah, like you know? and almost immediately it's shocking <laughs> yeah you, you and, can't then, and then and then over over happened. the years of your twenties, more follow, yeah,
0: right, yeah, and anyway, so this is the real. It's not so much you have to worry about getting captured by the KGB. You have to worry about Alzheimer's. You have to worry about the. Social I mean, I, I think
1: we saw a problems. little bit like COVID was a situation that right broke community, and I I think there's plenty of people that never came back to church. You know,
0: right? Yeah, and I think that the way we strengthen ourselves for this partly is retreat. But it's yeah. always just if you can't go on a retreat, it's always just working on walking with God in relationship. Yeah, not just the practices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the sacraments serve that. The sacraments yeah. aren't that, but they serve that.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I would like to then talk about the book that everyone's talking about. Everyone. That hideous strength. <laughs> okay, this is transitioning. All right. The Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. The final book of the Space Trilogy is actually not about space. It's mm-hmm. about the earth. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to try not to give away too much on this, right? Yeah. Because I do think this is worth reading. But as you read it, you can get shook at how prophetic so much of it is. Yeah. Or as some of the younger people who I read it with recently said, they weren't shook at all. They're like, what's the big deal? Doesn't everyone know this? Mm. I think they must have missed something. But... (laughs) (laughs) I know I did. I read it in my 20s and I did not get much out of it. And then I just reread it and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know, but um, we did notice that we read uh, St. Thomas More's Utopia recently and no one is really challenged by almost any of the ideas in St. Thomas More's Utopia.
1: I was so disappointed in it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. But I think that's partly because his ideas won. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like those ideas were challenging at that time and now we're like, well, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. (laughs) So that's the way they were acting
0: like C.S. Lewis's that hideous strength was. But let's talk about it. So in C.S. Lewis's book, he kind of creates a model of bad power and good power. Mm -hmm. And he does it through these two institutes, like a good institute and a bad institute. Now in the bad institute, they like to think that rules are for others. Uh, But not for themselves like they use Mm -hmm. rules when they're convenient, but they break their own rules. Say they're cutting the red tape. They also are are inauthentic. They're inauthentic with each other, but they're also inauthentic with kind of like society at large. And when they go into meetings, for example, Uh like they use propaganda on society and they'll kind of figure out how to arrange a meeting so that they feel like everyone is getting to say their part and take a vote. But they've already kind of predetermined the outcome. Yeah. You know, by the way they set the stage, they're not actually trying to get everyone's input.
1: Do the people attending the meeting know this?
0: Uh, The ones who are smart figure it out. But even the ones who figure it out are getting steamrolled at the moment it's happening. And I think most of us who've been to many meetings have been steamrolled in a meeting like this before. And you know how um, it's like a sham. Like you're getting manipulated and worked, and you know it. Yeah. You know? Uh, He calls this bad group, the progressives, even though this is like, you know, at least a 60 year old book, they are very low trust with each other. They're not happy. They're transhumanist. They believe that humans need to be perfected through like sociological work and even biological work, you know, Mm. and they also (laughs) control the money. They are the fed. Oh. So they're kind of like the World Economic Forum, the Fed and the transhumanist movement all rolled into a little institute and it's called the Nice. <laughs> Isn't that great?
3: <laughs> now,
0: you just like realize what a hell it is, you know, even from the inside, yeah. the way he's like describing it, you know? And um then the Good Institute is like a bunch of people who took refuge in this old English house, right? And I've been thinking a lot about like the English lately, because like, I'm, I'm not really English. I'm more kind of like German, you know, mm-hmm. in my background. But like, I like this idea of the English where it's like a stone house that's overgrown with ivy and the yeah. ivy is kind of like not really good for the house, but they're kind of like, yeah, it doesn't really hurt it. And yeah. they like kind of don't replace anything until it kind of like just doesn't uh-huh. work anymore. It's yeah. not about being on point there's a certain acceptable level of dirt and disorganization. like The English garden is not like the Japanese Zen garden right? Right, or a German garden. It's like Mm -hmm. an overgrown garden or a full garden or a, you know, and there's kind of this. And I think this is important because I think if you're going to host a lot at your house, you can't be too type A. You have to kind of have this attitude. You know what I mean? Right.
1: If you want to host a lot. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) If you're going to, but that's part of like being Christian, opening your house and doing these things, you know, I had a friend who's, it was called messy hospitality. There was an article like some blog written years no, ago. No, it's this. um
1: scru- scruffy hospitality. That's right. Like, okay.
0: Yeah. Well, there's something about this that's English, right? And it, you, somehow you realize that when you sit down in this setting and they serve you a nice tea and they're cheerful and they look in your eyes, you're like, This is great. This is home. This is beautiful. Right. Yeah. So th- the good people are um not important people. Yeah. They're kind of like the gardener and the um yeah. the professor who was a fuddy duddy but they yeah. have this like kind of internal integrity and yeah. they also have this strength. That's more a strength of faith than a strength of anything else. Yeah. You're you know? talking
1: about the book now, the characters. Yeah. In yeah, the yeah, book. yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the, the good Institute in the book, he's trying to describe what good power looks like and the good people kind of wait because they're not, they're kind of not necessary. Like God's going to be the actor. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're willing, they're earnest. They want to do something. They also like complain about like, turnips and the women complain about the men and the men complain about the women, but always when they complain about the opposite sex, they then turn it into like understanding the opposite sex as opposed to just kind of like a, a bitching.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I thought this was just kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. And it kind of, it's interesting in the sense of like, is that what the Catholic church is like? Is that why like, like sometimes we want our priests to be these like type A personalities who are gung ho conquering the world, but are they actually going to be like the little English gardener who sits down with his tea and he's kind of doing his thing, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I think we need to say thanks be to God for the (laughs) kind of behind the scenes priests a little bit, you know? And, uh, I think they can be disappointing in a lot of ways, but like,
0: I think it's wrong when we're disappointed. You yeah, I,
1: I think it's wrong. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like I, I think people feel disappointment sometimes in those priests, and and they're wrong, and they should be thankful. Like their parish is probably more on track. You know, um,
0: maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I find a lot of people come to me, and they'll be mad at their priest, and yeah, I'm always waiting to hear if the priest stole money, molested someone, ran away yeah. with a lady. Um, if he has been like somehow spiritually cruel or screwed people up and that's really almost never the complaint. The complaint yeah. is he's just not awesome enough.
1: Right. No, I know. <laughs> I know. Not, it, yeah, He's
0: not taking the thing I most care about and crusading for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: it's like, thank God for the ordinary priests. Yeah. And that's also kind of what this good Institute CS Lewis's painting yeah. is about. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just a country priest. Yeah, you know.
2: Yeah,
0: you almost wonder if that's what the apostles were more like. Like Jesus didn't pick a bunch of type A guys to be his twelve apostles. They didn't form a super professional organization to take over the world.
1: Yeah, right. When you have an ordinary priest doing the ordinary things a priest is supposed to do, and you're upset that he's not doing more, it's there's like a pride thing going on, and. Anytime there is like a superstar priest, I feel like I need to seriously pray for his soul because the temptation right. to pride and to everything else, you know? <laughs> um,
0: yeah. When I meet superstar yeah. priests, I am worried. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't trust it inherently, you know, but I'm, yeah. I'm like, good, good. Keep, you know, rock this, you know, spice yeah, the football. Yeah, yeah. do what, I, I, do what yeah, you can right. do. But right. like, I am like, I'm a little bit like, I don't trust it as easily.
1: Yeah, I don't trust it as easily. And I think like it's like you get a Fulton Sheen or whatever is obviously responding to, you know, a call and a gift he had, you know. And I think we've got some priests like that today, but like they got to be on their knees all the time because it's right. I, I just think the dangers are are many.
0: Whenever you have a priest who everyone walks around talking about how holy they are you need to yeah. be very weirded out.
1: Yes, 100%. You know what I mean? I hate to
0: say that, but like no, the priests true, who are though. really following God are disturbing a lot of people and a very and people aren't all talking about how holy they are.
1: Yes, and you know in the earlier days of a simple house, it was like there were a whole bunch of priests that we knew that fit that profile who were either like dealing with a scandal or later came to deal with a scandal and I'm not saying that they all are, but yes, I yeah, definitely. It's
0: borne itself out quite a few times. Yeah. 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 And then there's other priests who, like, I remember, I remember, I mean, I maybe we'll point them out. Uh, the old uh, guy who ran CUA's Catholic campus ministry, Father Bob uh, Schlager. Yeah. I felt like very few people were satisfied with that guy. And I think in hindsight, that man was doing amazing, amazing holy work.
1: Uh, yeah. No. Well, a lot of people loved him. Um I think sometimes people found him frustrating or different. I I don't know. I think it was like his like amazing, holy, amazing. Like, he, I think he was a really is a really wonderful priest. And it was like almost hidden a little bit. Like what a great priest he was.
0: It you was know. like, I mean, like yeah. generally people liked him. He was a nice guy, but like yeah, people, people, there was also like people who would just be like, oh, he's holding me back here. He's doing this or he's yeah, doing yeah. that. You people
1: know? complained a lot about this and that. And yeah, I
0: people complained about him a lot. <laughs> I just heard yeah, people complain, yeah. but he really was doing perhaps the best job as a campus ministry priest I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, like if he could somehow, if you could somehow like, make that a formula, which it isn't and can't yeah, be, it isn't. No. he would, he would definitely like order yeah. a million versions of that guy, you know?
1: Yeah. The idea of like wanting your priest to be like a superstar priest or whatever is like, um, or just a great leader or this it's, it takes away the focus of God being the primary actor, you know? And it's, it's great that we have some of these priests that are great leaders and great orators and have a good public face, you know, but um, that's not like the answer that we need.
0: I also think that, I think I've said this before on the podcast, that when you have a really good priest, no one wants to be them. What? Well, there's Why? no, there's no jealousy. And what I mean by that is like, no oh, one covets oh, their oh. position. Yeah. Right. Like I think John yeah. Paul II is the ultimate example of this, like very powerful man. You never got the sense that anyone wanted to walk in that guy's shoes.
1: Yeah. Like, cause it was extremely sacrificial. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it was like being on a cross all the time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Transitioning to the last segment. We've been doing the simple house life, ha- the simple living yeah. hacks. All right. We're going to change this to just recommendations from the Simpleton podcast. All right. And this is, we're. I'm trying to get Laura to, to pitch in here on this. So it's not just stuff Clark loves. <laughs> um. Not well. I know. I know a guy. I know reasonably well. Started listening to our podcast. And he started listening to like an interview podcast. Yeah. And he was like, "Oh, okay." And then he listened to the next podcast, and it was like just me talking, or you and I talking. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, now Clark's the expert." <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I don't. Uh,
2: yeah. All right. Well, I'm,
1: I'm going to start giving recommendations that are things you think are lame, and they're going to be good recommendations.
0: All right. But I this is forward, what is going
1: to happen when I bring look forward, forward to my life-changing recommendations.
0: recommendations from Laura. <laughs> that will—that'll be the name of the segment when you give one. Um, when I get there. All right, yeah. I actually am a legit expert on popcorn. Okay, I've been making popcorn for years. Igor, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, I've been really excited about becoming an old man lately.
1: Because of popcorn.
0: Well, Park I love like slippers. Old man stuff. Also, I've—I've I've, slippers.
1: Yeah, I don't know. You Real old to
0: men don't wear slippers. slippers.
1: Hmm, not my experience, but go on.
0: <laughs> well, like I've been showing up to the gym uh-huh. and I like join this like gym, right? And I carry yeah. in my clothes in a trash bag. <laughs> Young Clark would have never done this, but I just do not care. <laughs> and now I'm like kind of proud of myself that I carry my gym clothes in a trash bag. <laughs> so anyway
1: oh my gosh i haven't um, lost that amount of self <laughs> you so. haven't gotten that <laughs> humble yet but you can walk around like a badass
0: with your gym clothes in a trash bag all right um popcorn there is lower and higher quality popcorn i always just make it with olive oil and a pot on the stove it's the best way to make it it's very delicious all right when you buy lower quality popcorn it doesn't pop as much it's often smaller it just is very less satisfying okay now The most expensive popcorn is fine. It's usually very high quality. I never want to pay that much. So I'm usually buying like the middle to high middle end popcorn. And I came across this popcorn that's called Lakota after the Lakota Indians of either North or South Dakota. That's a part of the Sioux. And when I had it, I was at like a grocery store I don't normally go to. And I thought, I should see if I can order this online. And I found the Lakota health food store Mm -hmm. sponsored by the Lakota Sioux Indians, right? They have a whole store set up to sell all you wonderful products, except they only have two products in the store. (laughs) Uh They will sell you popcorn, 25 pounds of popcorn in a burlap bag. Okay. Or they'll sell you 24 pounds of popcorn individually, like wrapped like you're for the store. Those are the only things in the Lakota health food store. And it's pretty cool. And so for about 45 bucks, you get a year's supply of popcorn in the mail, and it's it's really good. Like, I mean, it's way better than average popcorn. All right. And you can gift it. That's my yeah. thing now.
1: All right. So you got the 24-pound yes. pack. Yeah, I couldn't really handle, handle a, a
0: burlap bag of popcorn. <laughs> I also don't know, like, how you'd reseal it and keep it nice. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, so.
1: we, we uh, go through a lot of popcorn in this house, so... That's exciting.
0: Well, well, how about you try it and get back to me?
1: I will. I will. We could. Maybe I can send a bag back with but...
0: the DC missionaries. Ooh, when they I come. would like
1: that. You should do that. And then okay. I can review it. Sure. <laughs>
0: Good. Yeah. All right. As always, please like, subscribe, share the podcast, tell your friends about it. We love you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to All you right. later. Bye, Clark. Bye-bye.